0: Let's pray. Father, your word is um, leaven; it's yeast, and let it let it get into our doughy minds and doughy hearts, and and bring life and light and shape and form and um, and delight into our lives. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen when i talk about the word temptation i wonder what comes to mind for you all when i say that word temptation i wonder what comes to mind i think some of you if you're um, following the traditional lent uh, you're very aware of temptation right now because you gave up such and such you know say you gave up sweets and somehow the world is just sweets are just floating everywhere in the world. There's just, the world is nothing but sweets now. It's nothing but desserts. And so you feel that you are constantly tempted. And even even at Peak Community Church, uh, when you walk in, there's a whole box full of donuts during Lent, what, what is wrong with us? Um, and so maybe that's what you're thinking of when I talk about temptation. Or maybe you're thinking, maybe you're thinking I'm done with the temptation stuff you know like temptation is just something people made up because they don't like it when people want things and they don't like desire and and i i don't think in terms of temptation so maybe that's where you're at or maybe you know maybe it's not a big thing in your life but every once in a while it rears its head in a really big way you know maybe you're on a business trip going to fall maybe you're on a business trip and you find yourself in a situation in a completely different town where you can do things and no one would ever know. Or you, um, you, you, you find yourself wanting to purchase something and you know you can't afford it and you know your credit card is, you're not gonna be able to pay this off anytime soon and you're just really tempted because you want that thing so bad. Or you're in a conversation and you have an opportunity to really slander somebody, to really say some horrible things. And it would probably make you look pretty good. And the temptation just suddenly rises up on you and you say, oh, I really want to say this thing. Temptation's very wily. It comes in a lot of different forms. It can be something real little, it can be something real big. Um, It can be somewhat harmless, but it can also just completely ruin your life if you give into it. Everyone deals, I think, with some form of temptation. And we always think that the response is, the response is obvious, it's just no, resistance. We have to resist it, we have to fight temptation. You know, even in our Lord's Prayer, we say, lead us not into temptation, the answer is no. Um, but what I'd like to explore this morning is how no is not a, a sufficient answer to temptation. That there's always some form of no, in responding to temptation, but the most important response to temptation is not yes; it's not no; it's actually a bigger yes, a bigger yes. Interestingly, we get this from the most famous story, I think, and well, certainly in the Bible, of temptation, which is Jesus's temptation in the wilderness. Um, and it's interesting that this is the most famous. Story of temptation because it's not a typical temptation at all. There is like nothing salacious in this temptation story, nothing at all. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read it, and then I, I want you to just listen. Like think of think of the stories you think of as as temptation. You know, like like um, uh, I often I don't know I I probably once a week I think of River Runs Through It, especially the movie. I love that movie. And there's, you know, there's that place that Brad Pitt's character goes to, that seedy kind of place, you know, and, that, and that's like a, or, or if you think about Faust and, and, and um, Goethe's Faust and, and, and the temptation from Satan to all these salacious things, um, you might be able to see some of that, but you're, you're also, it's not quite like that. But anyway, let me read it and then we can, we can talk about this. Luke 4, 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. So returning from the Jordan refers to a baptism. So that's all he's done right now. He's been born, baptized, now he's in the wilderness. Where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days. And when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. No brothels. Um, He doesn't offer him a huge sum of money. He does offer a lot of power, and that's a real temptation. But the three things, honestly, they're fairly common. Bread, control, attention. And that's the first point that we should be mindful of about temptation is that the things that we are tempted by in and of themselves are not wicked. The things we are tempted by are not evil. They're pretty ordinary. Bread is not evil. It's not wrong to have power. Everybody already has power. Having attention in and of itself, nothing wrong with that. Even if we do think of some of the salacious temptations like Sex, for instance, sex is not bad. Sex is wonderful. Sex is a great thing. There's nothing inherently wrong with sex at all. There's nothing inherently wrong with money either. There's nothing inherently wrong with anything we're tempted by. And one of, the, one of the dangerous things we do when we are tempted is we put all the blame on the thing that tempts us. And so guys do this all the time with women. You know, when they're tempted by a woman, they blame the woman, don't they? They say, well, it's her fault for what? Looking beautiful? That's garbage. That's ridiculous. That's, that's, that's going down a wrong road when we're thinking appropriately about temptation. And interestingly, um, the Bible has a very, I think, nuanced and sophisticated view of evil. The Bible always talks about evil as something always within us, and then also as something mysteriously out there, but not in the things that God created. And so, so that's the character of Satan. So we are, there are things outside of us that tempt us, but it's not the thing itself. There's a force that tempts us. And the, the name the Bible gives for that is, is Satan. An accuser and that kind of thing. But it's really important to hold that in place and so, that, so that we don't start vilifying the things that tempt us. Um, but let's, let's move on. It's not, it's not the thing's fault. It's also not desire's fault. It's not wrong to desire. It's not wrong to want um, we're supposed to be wanting and passionate beings We're made, in fact, to want and to want very strongly. So the solution to temptation is not not wanting. It's not becoming this sort of like stoic person who, who never wants anything in the world to, or to want less. It is passionately desiring the right things. How do we get to the point where we passionately with all of our being want something, but we want the right? Thing? thing, the thing that we're supposed to want. Jesus shows us how it's done. Um, We see it in one crucial phrase that Satan uses. Um, He uses this phrase, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, Satan says you're supposed to be someone special, you're supposed to be someone very, very important, so prove it. Show me. Show the whole world. Show yourself. Show God who it is you think you are. Show everybody that you are the Son of God. And at the, at the root of all temptation is this central, central point, which is a doubt, a basic doubt, a question about who we are as human beings. Who am I? Who are you? And whether or not we're enough person. Am I enough of a person, or do I need this thing that I'm tempted by to complete me as a person? Do I need to fulfill myself in this thing? that I'm? That's why the pull is so strong. I mean, we're talking about, like, you know, you, you could be tempted by a cupcake. And what is a cupcake? It's like nothing. But you can feel really strongly about a cupcake, because it's not about the cupcake. It's about your identity as a human being. And you're so drawn to this because you think that this thing, whatever you're tempted by, is going to make you whole as a human. And what could be stronger than that? What desire could be stronger than that? So that's exactly what Satan's doing here. Satan is saying, you think you're the son of God? Prove it. Prove that you are the son of God. If you are the son of God, do this, this, this. Fascinatingly, Everything that Satan asked Jesus to do, he'll go on and do later. He doesn't say no to any of this, ultimately. There's a no now. But turn stones into bread? He he does that and, like, way more. He multiplies bread multiple thousands of times. And so it's it's not the thing itself. It's it's this whole question of, of prove yourself. Show us that you're the Son of God complete yourself in these actions and then, and, 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 and then show us what it's like. So, so anything can do this, anything at all can, can, can come to stand for the completion of my being. And so for instance, I, I knew a guy who um, got hooked on opera music, like recordings of opera music. And I don't mean, I don't mean like he really liked them or he listened to them a lot. I mean, he maxed out his bank account, maxed out his credit cards, buying recordings. He would drop his kids off at a bookstore and leave them, their kids, little kids, for four hours while he went over to the music store and just went through opera recordings, trying to find the right one and that kind of thing. I mean, he, he, he endangered his children. He endangered his livelihood. He endangered everything his life. Why? For opera music. I know some of you hate opera music, but that doesn't mean it's inherently evil. It just means he has used this thing as a way of completing who he is, because he felt incomplete, because he grew up as a refugee, he was separated from his parents when he was young, and he's always had this sort of attachment disorder all his whole life, and he was using opera music to fill it. It could be, could be a hat. It could be a gate at the entrance of your neighborhood. It could be the attention of a parent or a parent figure. It could be your child's well-being. All perfectly fine things, but they become destructive when we believe that without them we will never be okay, complete, safe, or loved. All to be desired, but not when we believe that they will complete us as human beings. Satan picks what seems to be the perfect moment to tempt Jesus in this. Right? So Jesus has no resume. He hasn't done anything at this point. What's he done? So Luke 2, he's born. Luke 3, baptized. Now we're in Luke 4. That's it. That's all he has going for him. No miracles. You know, he hasn't he hasn't like confronted the Pharisees and like delivered some sick burns. He hasn't done any of the stuff that we think of Jesus as yet. All he's done is like taken a dip in the water and come into the wilderness. Not only that, we're talking 40 days of no food in the wilderness. Some of you, after camping for a week, look awful. Just bedraggled and, you know, the hair everywhere and all this kind of stuff. This is 40 days, no tent, no glamping. So if you were to look at this picture, and some, some, some of the greatest artists of our time have painted this scene, if you were to paint this scene, Satan would look more like the Son of God than Jesus. Because Satan was an angel of light, beautiful, a beautiful human being, or a beautiful creature, I should say. So he doesn't look the Son of God, he doesn't, he doesn't have the CV, he doesn't have any of it, okay? What does he have going for him? The only thing he has going for him is when he came up out of the water, the voice of the Father said, That's my boy. That's my boy. I delight in him. Oh, I love that kid. That's all he has. That's it. But that is enough. That is enough for Christ. That's enough to resist temptation. But not just to resist it to go further and to say a bigger and overwhelming yes. So let's look at these three temptations and see how Jesus does this. Uh, We can look at the bread. So Satan tempts him to make some bread. He says no in the moment because his life is not merely about comfort and his life is not about proving who he is. He doesn't need to prove it. He doesn't need bread or anything like this. He has the bread that he needs most, which is the word of the father saying, you are my kid. You are my boy. I love you. That's the only bread that Jesus needs. But later he says a bigger yes. He will multiply the bread twice on behalf of thousands and thousands of people who are oppressed by the Roman Empire. It's, it's, a, it's a humanitarian act. It's a compassionate act. It's also a revolutionary act. It's an act of justice. He will do, he will do that, but he doesn't do it to prove himself. He does it to bring... Um, a a sign of a more just society. And then not only that, he's not done with the bread. He will multiply bread, but he will turn himself into bread. He will turn himself into bread, and that bread will become bread for us so that we can be nourished on the same love that the Father has for Christ and that he himself feasted on. And then we can feast on that same bread. All right, let's look at the second one, the power over the kingdoms, the temptation to to control. Satan tempts him with all this power. I mean, it's a perfect temptation for the Son of God because, like, look, don't you want to, like, do some good in the world? I mean, currently, like, right now, in this moment, wouldn't it be great if we had power over all the kingdoms? We could stop the war in Europe right now. That's a real temptation. But he will say no to that because he's going to offer an even bigger yes later. He's gonna offer a new kind of power that subverts all other power in the world. It subverts everything, not through through overt power, but through subversion, through the cross and the resurrection. He will gain power even over death by accepting death. And remember, death is the main tool of any tyrant. The death and the fear of death is the primary way that they control people. And he will take that death and he'll turn it right around and say, death, where is your sting? There is no fear in death. He will disarm all the weapons of the worldly powers, even the fear of death, and he will beat it all into plowshares. Beat it all, take all the swords and beat them into plowshares. Finally, the last temptation is the one where uh, Satan says, okay, use the temple as a springboard, jump off, show everybody you're the son of God. Big spectacle. Prove who you are. Prove who you are, especially to God. The no is pretty simple. Jesus already knows who he is. We've talked about this. He knows he's the son of God because of the baptism. But he will say a bigger yes to even this. Because Jesus will become the temple. He says, I will be the temple. In my body will be the temple. And I will build it up. And and that temple will not be to prove himself, but to prove to the rest of the world exactly what God finally looks like. You know, we won't have this idea of God as, as um, you know, the, 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 old, uh, the old tall white guy in the sky with a really long beard or whatever, who looks surprisingly a lot like Burr. Um, you know, we'll, we'll discover that, that God actually doesn't look like that. Um, what, what we'll find when Jesus becomes the temple, what we'll find God looks like is, yes, you know, a Middle Eastern Jew, that is part of it but also not just Jesus, but the relationship that the Father has with Jesus and the love between them, which we call the Holy Spirit. That relationship, that drama will be opened up to all of us saying not no to us, but a bigger yes to each and every one of us. So what I hope is that this understanding of temptation becomes this enormous and transforming Yes, um, in our hearts. And it reveals the truth about who each and every one of us are. Much more than enough. We're not just enough. We're more than enough for God. God says to each one of you, you are my child. I am so delighted in you. So delighted. He loves you. And so let that delight fill you up so that you can not only say no to temptation, but a fuller and more passionate. Yes, um, I was thinking this week of a story I heard about a, um, a young girl who was at a major piano recital with one of the greats, one of the great piano, um, what are they called, pianists. Yeah, I was thinking piano recitalists, that's not a thing. Um, so, so she's at this piano recital, huge concert hall, totally packed. And in the in the middle of the recital, the little girl gets up and walks up on the stage, and and to everybody's surprise, and then walks over to the piano. And so the pianist stands up, and um, uh, to to sort of we don't we're not sure what's happening. Um, and she walks over to the chair at, at the bench, I mean, you know, and she just starts banging on the keys like this. You know, she's, she's seen what he's doing and so she's doing it, you know. And there's an opportunity there, right? There's an opportunity to say no. There's an opportunity to kindly, you know, lift her off and say, you know, where are your parents? And, and just get her out of here. But instead, this, this brilliant artist puts his arms around the sides of her, like this, and he just starts playing with whatever she's playing. And he starts, he starts uh, adding notes that match, you know, the, the notes or, or counterpoint, the notes that she is playing. And what he's done is he's said a bigger yes to her, to the situation that she, the new situation that she has created, instead of saying no. So how can you say a bigger yes to temptation Instead of just always saying no, 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 no. So, for instance, if it's money that tempts you, yeah, you could, you, could, um, you could say no. You could say no to money. You could say no to its use. You could say no to even earning it. Or you could say a bigger yes by giving a lot away. You could say a bigger yes by earn your money. But then give as much as you as possibly you can away to other people. Use it as a gift. Um, spouses, you might be tempted by people who are not your spouse. And of course, you know, we believe in fidelity and faithfulness. And so, and we don't want to blow up our marriages. And so we say no to all these other people. But what if we took all this, this love that we feel that that um, that wells up in us for other people. And we said, I'm going to love this person God has given me more fully. I'm going to love this person with all the romance that I feel like I need in my life. Or all the... All the um, all the passion I feel like I need in my life, but this isn't this isn't you know specific to you know this isn't limited to married couples in the sense of of, of relationship. I think we could be more passionate about our friendships. I think we could be more passionate about, about kinds of community. You know, if we're if we're longing for for um, deeper connection, we can be the ones to show that connection. Uh, I'll never forget um, Garrison Keillor talking about Lent once and he said, give what you don't have, give what you don't have. Meaning if you're the one feeling the loneliness, then, then give the relationship that you're not having, you know, that you're not receiving. That's a way of saying a bigger Yes. Are you disgruntled by politics? There might be one or two of you in here who are a little discouraged about politics. Sure. Say no to the tired, old lines of argument. Say no to corruption. Say no to the old fighting and division. But you know what? You can also say a bigger yes. A bigger yes to citizenship. A bigger yes to organizing on a local level. There's a lot of power that we possess and a lot we can do politically on a local level. Say yes to those for for the sake of the common good. Are you tempted by food? Are you tempted by food? Well, you know, the natural thing is to say no through some kind of diet. I say no to that. This is what I say. I say fast and feast. Eat like a queen, eat like a king, and then fast like a saint or a desert mother. And do it that way. That's saying a bigger yes to food because food is this immense gift. Let's not treat it as this evil chocolate cake in the fridge saying eat me i'm going to destroy your life (laughs) that is that is not what is happening instead this food is an amazing gift let's treat it as a gift by fasting from it so we can control ourselves and learn about some other things and then when we do eat feast and eat well and eat wonderful wonderful food what's that Oh, never mind, okay. Said you were, uh, I said you're on a roll. Oh, oh, good, okay. Well, it's, you know, temptation. It. 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 It's it. temptation. Um, hopefully, hopefully, you can see a pattern here, a pattern at the very heart of who God says, or who God is. Um, that God himself is saying a bigger and richer and unqualified and fuller yes to all of us. And so, may you then... Yes, say a greater yes to the world, say a greater yes to the things in front of you, Um, but say a bigger yes also to God. Say a bigger yes to the God who has given you all these things that are right in front of you. Amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again to these doors. Amen. Go in peace.